0: Welcome to Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm joined as always by my dad, Jack Brinker. How are you doing? Good morning, Todd. Good to see you. Hear you. <laughs> yeah. Every day Did you, you get up and see somebody, it's a good day, right? That's means, right. means you're awake, yeah. alive, and, and not alone. <laughs> yep. Oh, oh good my. Things. Anyway. So. I was just looking and I saw an uh, article pop up in my news feed saying that today Apple has made changes to its app review process to save face with devs. Now, it's a little loaded because save face implies that somehow they were, um, you know, in need of face saving or something that they had embarrassed themselves. I don't know that Apple has embarrassed themselves, but there are some developers who have been pretty unhappy with the app review process. And in fact, um, uh, just recently, it was made notice. I don't know if you were uh, had seen the news on this thing where Apple had apparently uh, notarized an app that was a w- was virus laden, and so it was available on the App Store. And once they found out the error, they, they went back and fixed it. But I think a lot well, of people are are conflating two different things because Apple has notarization, and then they also have app review. Right, so this failed app review notarization. All that means is that a an official uh, Apple developer created the app, a registered Apple developer. And so, as Uh an app as as an Apple developer, you can go in and and submit your app, and they then notarize the app, and basically they just put like a a. electronic code in there that says this came from this developer so we know who it came from and because this developer has has a history of doing things right it's a air quotes trusted source that doesn't mean um that that uh you know there's been anything it's it's an automatic process for on apple's part there's nobody actually laying hands on the app or looking at it in notarization and yeah. uh, and now once once apple uh realized what was going on they not only pulled the app, but they also then went in and uh, and shut off that developer's account so they can no longer notarize apps you know and that's part yep. of what uh, uh, <laughs> Mac OS has a, a function called gatekeeper that you that allows you to manage what is and is not allowed to be installed on your on your uh, machine and so yeah. uh, the idea of notarizing apps was just a way of saying, "Hey, if I download something that's not in the Apple App Store." Is it from a trusted source? And and Apple said, well, we'll notarize it, saying that it's officially from this developer account. So, like, if you download something, say, from Adobe, uh, is notarized as coming from Adobe. So if you go somewhere and you download it, and and it's an app that's supposed to be Adobe's and it's not notarized by Adobe, then the gatekeeper function will keep it from running on your machine and say, hey, wait a minute, this is not a, a recognized um, developer uh, for this well, app. I-
1: Sounds sounds all very lawyery to me. You know how engineers and lawyers mix like oil and water. So anyway, I I I'm not uh, a knowledgeable source on on any of that kind of stuff. I paid attention mm-hmm. to it when I was an Apple investor, but I'm those are yeah. years past uh, because it, you know it mattered. Mm-hmm. But uh,
0: uh, yeah, well, so, I mean, it anyway, matters what the public opinion is as well as as what the reality yeah. is, right? So I think yeah. this is more uh, ado about nothing in terms of, like, the, the concern about the, um, the malware that got, you know, notarized, that that was very, you know, once it was discovered, it was very quickly fixed, which is exactly what the whole notarization process is supposed to do. It worked exactly like it's supposed to, you know. Yeah. It was like, okay, we will now remove it, reject it, and set it up so that they can't notarize again. I mean, okay, yeah. good, did what you're supposed to.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, they, uh, the most recent uh, thing that I read about Apple that sort of had some interest is uh, iPad-related, and that is how they uh, now uh, do a lot of AI on the iPad itself. It doesn't go back, and and, sure. and they can only, only do this because of the performance that they have now with the iPad. And uh, yeah. the article basically was about how artificial intelligence reads handwriting and and interprets it and, and comes up with real text, which has been an issue for a long time with lots of developers. And nobody had ever really tried to do it on the device before, and now Apple has done it at least in a limited application mm-hmm. that's apparently extremely successful. Now, uh, I just read this yesterday, and I was going to try it. I haven't yet, so I can't verify it, but the idea is that if you just sit there on a, any app that uh, collect uh, pencil stuff, you know, a notepad or something like that, and, and write something. Now, the example they showed in the article was like somebody had sort of hand-printed it. It wasn't script. So maybe it's limited to, you know, just a, mm-hmm. the easiest type of things to do. But uh, uh, anyway, then when you're done with that, you just can select that text, just like you would if it was typed in text, uh, cut it, and then paste it into an app that'll take text, and lo and behold, it pops up as text.
0: Right. Okay? Yeah. That, that, well, the 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 A12 chip, which is what is in the current um, uh, phones and or, um, or rather, iPads, uh, you know, the variations thereof, they've got the A12X and the A12Z, um... Mm-hmm. And they're essentially the same chip. One of them it had seven processors, uh, and that way they, you know, when they had a lower yield with not all the processors working, they could still put the chips in. And then when they got their process down, they came out with the A12Z, which just said we'll use all eight chips that are active now. Um, so they're essentially the same thing. But they built in a, a specific hardware to handle um, uh, uh some of that AI stuff they have what they call the neural engine built into it um Mm -hmm. and so you know they have some very hardware specific designs on doing things on device which has been an Apple um um, premise from the get-go in terms of security right it's like don't send things out back and forth. every time you transfer data back and forth you open the door for something to be uh infiltrated
1: but, but, the, but the real downside of that is the delay. And if you've got something that needs to be real time or nobody wants it, you know, like mm-hmm. this kind of thing where you're you're working on a device, uh, yeah. it's something that you can do and it's quick because it's all on device.
0: Yeah, it's less secure and it's slower, right? So yeah. if you can do it right. right then and there, then do it.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know what else is on the, the uh, waterfront for other Types of uh, applications, but uh, handwriting is clearly one that's always been a little difficult because there's uh, mm. everybody does it different. So, so you got to cover lots of variations and stuff.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. They, they do. Have, the A13 is in the uh, iPhone 11 and 11 Pro and SE, so they actually do have a later generation uh, chip that's already out as well. Um, the yeah. A12 is what's in the iPads. Uh, but it's amazing to think, too, that the A12, which is already uh, coming up on two years old, is what they're putting in their developer kits that they're using. Uh, did yeah. you read, you know, originally when that developer machine was shipping, somebody put a um, a uh, uh, app to test its speed, but it was running under emulation in order to run because they didn't have any apps that were actually written to run on the Apple uh, Silicon And they said that it was faster than Windows running natively on on an ARM chip because there is you know Windows on ARM uh, that Apple sells for some of their tablets, which was pretty amazing. Well, uh, this past week I read about a company that has uh, in Germany who has written a native uh, speed processing test app that they could run on. Uh, and, and they compiled it basically it was they, they wrote it very specifically so they could compile it for both uh, Intel processors and for the Apple silicon chips. and they said that the a12 uh, I don't know whether it's the X or the Z that's in that um, uh, development hardware but um, that that basically is already as fast as the fastest uh, laptop. That Apple sells with Intel hardware in it, and yeah. so, and and that's two year old, two year old Apple silicon that's in there. So well, that's
1: kind of how they come up with this estimate that Apple's uh, hardware has been two years ahead of most Intel stuff. It's been that way for five years at least. Yeah, you know they they're, they're just saying the performance of uh, of the uh, mm-hmm. you know it's always nebulous when you try to compare different. Chips, different processes, and all of mm-hmm. this to make those claims. But uh, anyway, uh, App- Apple Apple is clearly ahead of, of some of the other chip designers in terms of yeah. getting performance out of them.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, but a lot of performance up uh, had, has recently been, and this is where they were way ahead was the the performance per watt. You know, so it was it was sure. just okay. You know, these things run off of batteries. You get much more performance. Uh, over a longer period of time running off of batteries. Now they're saying, plugged into the wall, just raw performance, that this thing is pushing the limits of the fastest laptops that are made. Um, and so, you know, there, there's, because that's one question mark that's been out there, is at least proposed by some, I think it's a silly question, but was, you know, is Apple's um, A-series chips going to, are, are the A-series chips going to be able to... to um, you know, be competitive on like desktop level machines, and and you know Apple wouldn't be making this move if they weren't. <laughs> you know, oh. they if they well, weren't going to be that, able to beat the Intel significantly, they wouldn't be making any changes.
1: Yeah, that that's an obvious supposition just based on the business of of uh, of competing. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. You don't go through this much pain. To switch to the underlying architecture of your computers, unless you know that there are advantages and that you will be faster and cooler, and uh, you know, and and be able to do things like the AI stuff that you're talking about, because you can build custom hardware to manage it um, right on the computer. Right. You, know, you don't have to rely on right. auxiliary stuff and have some sort of a bus back into the main CPU. It can all just be built right there into it. You know, yeah, and a lot of speed pick up from doing that. Right, building it into the chip, um, you know, saves you not only complexity of dealing with you know, bus and communications between different parts of your computer, but uh, 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 it picks up speed because it's it's right there on chip. Right, right. So any, anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> so are you excited about the 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 future announcements, you know, we're in September now, we're four months away from the end of the year, and Apple promised that we would see the first uh, A-series Mac OS systems by the end of the year.
1: Well... I'll I'll get excited when I see it. You know,
0: it's one of those things. (laughs) They they, may be available. Well, and you know Apple, too. When they say the end of the year, that could be, you know, on the 31st of December. They're like, okay, we have them available. Come on into the Apple Store. (laughs) Or don't come into the Apple Store because we're closed. You can stare through the glass.
1: Well... They they won't put it out until it's ready. That's the way. And so that, right. that means any any time works as long as it works. You know, yeah. they're happy with the performance well, and everything. Absolutely.
0: And, and, and to be honest, too, you know, now is the perfect time to announce something going to be end of the year because you have the perfect excuse for not making any deadlines. Right. Because you just say, well, because of production halts, because of COVID, you know, it's going to be a little bit later than we had anticipated. And nobody's going to hold that against you because, yeah, COVID. Right. Yeah, COVID is a
1: cover for a whole bunch of things. Right, (laughs) yeah. Mainly politics, right? I mean, all (laughs) of the rumors
0: are already saying, yeah, exactly, politics is a big deal. But all of the um, uh, rumor sites are talking about the fact that they're not going to do a September announcement for their phones, that it's going to be October uh, because they expect, you know, there's production delays because of of factories that were shut down at different times um, for, you know, a month or more. And so they're just behind they don't have enough of the stuff built to launch it because, you know, they don't want to launch it and then not have have anything available to anybody to buy. And I understand right. that. Although I read something that said that as, as soon as this week, they might, um, without doing, uh, you know, a stage show or anything, they might uh, announce the new Apple Watch and possibly some iPad upgrades because those things are just, you know, bumps, upgrades. There's not a major change there that they may do those because they're ready and then do a big phone thing later in october when when that stuff's ready and then they'll do a uh you know sort of a production and announcement and everything so i'm actually kind of interested in that because not because i want the new watch but if they launch the new watch that means that the uh watch os7 will become available and there's one feature there that is interesting to me and that is the ability to time your hand washing and I've even thought about downloading the beta because it's available. It's public beta now. For the first time, you can get the watch as public beta, the Watch OS. And I thought about downloading because I thought it would be fun to, uh, to do that. You know, it's like I think most people stick their hands underwater, shake, shake, and dry off and don't, don't really do a good job of washing. And I wonder if, you know, that one feature will have a bigger impact on COVID than anything else. It's like everybody's got these oh. watches. And now your watch is going to buzz and tell you you've been washing your hands enough or not.
1: Uh, I, I don't know. That, that doesn't sound too exciting to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I use soap, and you know, and I, I soap until I get lots of bubbles. You know, so that it's basically taking the oils off your skin, right? I mean that that's that's most of what it does, and hopefully some bugs with it. And and when it's, it's pretty much done bubbling, start rinsing, and now it takes a while to get it off because it's you know mm-hmm. lots of suds. So I I figured has more to do with uh, uh, how things feel than, than the
0: time yeah i think the time yeah. is 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 sort of uh, um, uh, you know uh, a canard that they just throw out there and say well you know i mean if, if for 20 seconds i hold my hands underwater and don't do anything then it's although from everything i've read <laughs> i've read a couple things where some scientists have actually studied this and and they said that like 85% of cleaning the germs off your hands is just done with water. If you just rinsed your hands in water and and yeah. and and rubbed them and rinsed them again and did that, you know, for 10 or 15 seconds or 20 seconds, then you would get rid yeah. of 95% of the the or 85% of the the stuff that's there that by adding some sort of soap or some sort of cleanser, you get the last couple percentages that you can get i mean and then like everything else the last like five or ten percent is almost impossible to get rid of that there's always going to be some germs still in your hand you know unless you like stick stick them in alcohol after you wash them right um yeah probably a a
1: better timer would be how long has it been since you have washed your hands you know since you last
0: washed your hands yeah
1: right right and so if if it exceeds a certain amount of time it might just be a little reminder it says you know wash hands, that's it, you know,
0: just, yeah, yeah, they got the little timer that says, you know, take a moment and take some deep breaths, and they've got the little timer that says, hey, you haven't stood up in a while, stand up, so might as well become little robots to our watches and have it say, while you're standing (laughs) up, go wash your hands, you know,
1: because, you know, it's, it's, we don't think of things on a repetitive, cyclic basis, but, uh, you know, it, and, of course, it depends what you've been doing, whether it should be 20 seconds or two hours, you know I mean? You know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, hey, I've been moving boxes and stuff, and it takes more than 20 seconds to clean that grime off my hands, let me tell you. Um, yeah. I uh, That's sort of been my to-do for the last uh, week and mm-hmm. been working on it this weekend, too, is uh, trying to reduce the stuff that is in storage so that I am not paying for so much storage because that costs me money. And, uh, I won't say I've come to the realization, but it has become more, uh, uh, important to me that I, why am I paying to store stuff that I haven't touched in ages? And, you know, but by the same token, I don't want to just take a box and chuck it. I want to look through the box and see what's in there and say, Hey, is this stuff that I want or don't want? And then chuck it. And, and I have, I have really, I have, you know, I've, I've, I got to dispose of a donate And a, okay, I do want to keep this pile. And I'm trying to keep the, I want to keep this pile the smallest of the three. (laughs) I've
1: only only faced that storage once. You know, when we went out full timing, the first year we went out, we hadn't sold our house. I know. so, you know, and we we had cleaned it out so that it was ready to sell. And so we had storage uh, that we paid for an entire year. And when I added all that up, I says. Crap! I don't think any of the stuff in the storage is worth that. <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> you, know it's, we, you know.
1: If we go dump, put it in a dump. You know, we'd just save money because we could have bought it all back if we needed it.
0: I know. Uh, yeah, it's funny how we it, get attached it, to stuff that has relatively little value. But you go like, well, we might use that. That's the yeah, the well, pack rat's fame. You know, famous last words, right? I could use that at some point.
1: Well, when when we finally went to get it out of storage that we set sort of a criteria if it's family related, you know, meaning it's something that, that is irreplaceable. Right. Know, then, then that's worth considering. If it's not replaceable, then it's easy. You know, just that goes into the toss or if it, it, is, or replaceable. If it know, is replaceable,
0: yeah, if it is replaceable, you said, if, if it's, it's is not replaceable, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not. like, I don't need to store two different house fans. You know, I'm not using them in the house that I have now. I already have fans in there. I'm not using them. So either donate them. You know, if I need another fan at some point, I'll buy another fan. But it, it, let's take these fans and find them a fan heaven, you know. <laughs> like
1: if, yeah. I, and, I didn't realize how, how expensive storage was until we had that experience. And, it, you know, after had, mm-hmm. we had paid for that stuff for about six months, I finally one day was just happened to be looking at the
0: expenses system.
1: Wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, like and instant- the,
0: the the folks that own those storage places know how insidious and hard it is to move and how people are tied to their stuff. And so after you have all your crap in there, then they start ratcheting the price up over time. Yeah. You know, they'll give you a bargain to come in cuz it's cheap, right? And then over a right. short period of time, they really ramp that up significantly so that and now it's hard to leave right because you've got all your stuff in there. it's hard to go get all that stuff and move it somewhere else. It's expensive and and uh it's a complete waste of money, you know unless yep. you really truly have stuff that you just physically can't put anywhere else, and then you have to say, well, what's the value of that versus like you said, just chucking it and buying something new later.
1: Yeah, you know, have you watched that storage wars kind of a thing on TV?
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, it
1: stuns me sometimes how much, uh, how many people put stuff that's way overvalued in their storage units, and and apparently people just don't pay attention, or they don't don't give a damn, or don't know the value of things because yeah. they've found some real treasures. I mean, yeah, you know. Oh, yeah, and uh, people
0: people uh, will just quit paying for it and, and abandon it, and that's when these guys come in and and bid on it and suddenly own everything in the locker, right?
1: Right, right. So apparently they're aware that. In, uh, I think another part of it is that actually some of the stuff has been stolen, and so people will put stolen goods in a locker, and it's h- harder for people to or cops or wh- whoever to find it because they can come mm-hmm. search your house, you know, or whatever, but. Unless they are aware of the storage locker and connection to you, uh, and, and probably when they rent those storage lockers, they rent it under a false name even sometimes.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah, I don't so, remember when I rented mine whether they asked for ID or anything, but it's easy enough to guess. I guess to get a fake ID, right, so you can go rent a locker. Yeah. So to hide stuff.
1: I was think I was trying to figure that out one day while I was mm-hmm. watching that show, you know, and saying. Why on earth would people put that kind of stuff in a storage locker? Yeah. You know, it just make, it makes sense to me.
0: Well, the other thing that I is, surprises me, and I've found this when I'm you know, going to my storage lockers. I've been cleaning it in and out. I've been in and out of there a lot. And so you see the other people that are coming and going. There are a lot of people who run businesses out of storage lockers. Like they go to these yeah. swap meets and stuff, and they keep all of their inventory locked up in a storage locker during the week. Then they pull it out oh. on Friday and go out to the swap meet and sell what they yeah. can. And, you know, and then when they buy new stuff, they go put it in the storage locker. And so it's all, that's just their, their place to store their business stuff. Um, and then I, another one that I saw is a guy who works as a handyman. And he has a large, like, you know, 25-foot deep by 10-foot high by 10-foot wide storage locker that he keeps all of his tools and equipment and gear and stuff in. And then a couple doors down, he has another one that he parks his truck in. He actually has a business truck. And, uh, with the name of his business on the side of it. And I've seen him come in, uh, open up the one, drive out his, you know, his daily driver car, park his business truck back in there and lock it up and then go on his merry way. And so, um, apparently he's decided that for his business, you know, I'm sure he uses a cell phone for everybody contacting him and, uh, you know, and he works out of his truck that it's cheaper for him to rent those two spaces and just keep his all of his gear, his truck and all of his gear there than it is to go, uh, you know, rent like an office space somewhere. Yeah. And then he would have to park well, his that's... truck outside. So this way his truck is parked in an enclosed, locked up, you know, so it's nice and clean and looks good when he shows up to work.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, well, normally inside storage for vehicles is pretty expensive <clears throat> because, number, number one, it takes a fairly large space.
0: Yeah. yeah, well, I mean these these large ones go. I think they're about four hundred bucks a month. Yeah, you know, between four and five hundred dollars a month for the for the large, um, like drive-in size are, spaces. Uh, uh, some some
1: of those are air conditioned too.
0: Yeah, yeah. the 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 place that I'm at, the ones that are internal are air conditioned and and um, temperature controlled. The ones that are yeah. But have external outside entrances or not? Yeah. So.
1: Well, anyway, it's a kind of an interesting business. It's, it it's is. A, it's st- stunning when you see how many uh, there are out there, and then you see others still being built. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a. It's obviously a good business. Yeah. Otherwise, there'd be people still building them.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the place that I go to, it's it's a three-story high building with, with a, a level below ground level, so there's a, a basement as well, and you've got, you know, like, uh, uh, industrial elevators that can take you up and down to get to your spaces, as well as mm-hmm. then a bunch of, like, larger mm-hmm. ones that are drive-in ones from outside.
1: By the way, I was wondering, have you ever seen one of those Carvana places where they have the uh, jukebox, or not jukebox... uh
0: Kind of like a the um, the tower the the vending machine right. card yes
1: with the elevators and stuff yeah
0: there's one in Orange County I've driven past it.
1: it it's a California kind of thing at least it makes me think of it when I see those
0: pictures yeah. but I've
1: never seen one and I thought to myself man that's expensive storage
0: yeah you but know? can you imagine um, you know you buy your car online and then you have the Uber drop you off at the at the vending machine and you put in your information and Boom, there's your yep. car. You can go over, get your keys, yeah. and drive away. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a little easier than these, uh, you know, it's not non-trivial storing cars out in a lot, too, because yeah. then they get trapped in there unless they're careful. And how do you manage that storage? Yeah, so that well, you and you get it bigger. all clean
0: and shiny, and then you put it in the vending vending building. It's not really a vending machine. It's a vending building. <laughs> right. You know, but then it's nice and clean and ready to go for the person who picks it up. And I guess if you're a... a um, person who has a real aversion to like negotiating or talking to salespeople, Cause there is that whole, you know, buying a car, there's a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of companies who have popped up where it's sort of the, the non-negotiable, here's the, the, the best price. We don't do that Designed specifically because it's such a horrible, um, experience, uh, experience yeah. for most people, you know, most people are not, uh, combative by nature they don't tend to like to i mean there are some people who, who absolutely love you know getting in faces and arguing and bickering and, dick, and dickering back and forth on price and stuff i mean i can think of an uncle yeah. of mine that uh that loves that stuff but there are some people i mean I, th- I think there's a lot of people who um you know just are not confrontational they don't like that and yeah. uh, and don't want that experience. You know, it's like I I want this thing. Here's what I want. I know what I want. Here's my money. Just how much is it? Let's buy it and let me get out of here. You know, and even a lot of those places. You know, as you're trying to buy it and get out of there, they're they're saying, "Well, do you want the extended warranty?" And the you know, and you should get the extended warranty, and then you should get the undercoating, and you should get the, you know, and they're they're pitching additional add-on garbage that you just I don't want this conversation. I just want the dang car. Let me pay for the car and go. You know, yep. And Carvana solves that problem, right? <laughs> it's like, yep. here it is. Take the car. Go.
1: Well, and, and the other thing is, is with online capability where you can see all these good things and, and in the int- most intimate detail sometimes, you know, on all the options. Mm-hmm. And you can play games sitting there saying, well, what if I put this option on? And how does that affect the bottom line? And so it, it's really, I for a lot of people... A very desirous way of buying. In fact, I've said to myself mm-hmm. now, uh, I've been because of the virus been introduced to online buying for all my groceries. Mm-hmm. You know, and they and they and they're delivered to the door. Now it costs money to do, do the delivery, but to me it's been absolutely worth it, and and I've come to really enjoy it. And uh, it, you know, it to me it's just a a good way to do business for some. Yeah,
0: place. yeah. Because, so so you know well, if if I
1: should, I should mention that I'm I'm handicapped I can't really walk around the stores so I'm, I'm yeah be in a scooter that's that wouldn't work very well anymore anyway for me but but besides right. that, it just seems to me so darn convenient
0: yeah yeah but I mean if you were able to walk the stores like you had previously and COVID ended tomorrow would you go back to shopping in a store or would you say nope it's just too easy to, to click a few buttons and have stuff show up on the doorstep.
1: Well well personally i'm not I'm never going to go to grocery stores again. I'll, well, I'll again, go. I
0: said you know, understanding that it, you know that you're having you have walking issues, um, yeah. uh, but if that were not the case, because you know there oh. are some people who say, well, I want to go to the store because I want to look at my fresh vegetables and decide which one I want you know i don't I don't want a random peach. I want the peach that I picked out out of the pile
1: You're right, and we solve that problem twice a week. My wife, sue, my, your mom. She goes over here to a farmer's market that's actually closer than any of the grocery stores. <laughs> mm-hmm. So and gets a lot better stuff. Yeah. Really good, super fresh, and uh, it's it's a little bit more expensive. I'll have to admit that. Yeah. They're not as cheap as the grocery store, but it's so much better. Yeah. And so we're we're a habit. That's how we get fresh stuff.
0: Yeah. You know? Well, I've started doing that here too. On Saturdays they have a, a farmer's market that's uh, in town and uh, i had gone before but then i kind of quit doing it and uh so i have started that back up so i try to go get uh fresh produce at the farmers market a i like to support people who are local um yeah and and b i think that some of the quality is better not always um you know it's what i what i've noticed is that it's it's you know it's sometimes as good a quality it maybe isn't as pretty because the stores are good at dressing the stuff up to make it look good you know And, and so, um, you know, when you get some of this pulled out of a garden, everything's not perfectly shaped, um, you know, and that, that's fine. doesn't mean that it's not, you know, a a great, you know, fruit or vegetable or whatever. Um, but, uh, but you need to be aware of that anyway, when you're buying from a farmer's market, that things maybe won't be as, as prettified for you, you know? Um,
1: You, you know, the funny thing is being a farmer's son growing up and then actually working to distribute farm products from a farm to the store uh, I find products that are this perfect looking kinds of things that you find in stores sometimes as being not uh, as tasty or something, they just don't appeal to me They're, they don't look real
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> you
1: know, <laughs> so my, my favorite is to, to go get the stuff that, that looks like it came out of a garden <laughs> you know,
0: yeah yeah, I think too sometimes that that stuff is um uh because in, in order to be distributed in grocery stores it's picked early, you know, pre-ripened and then and then very often they will um like fog it with uh, a chemical to cause it to start to ripen when, you know, in the store. And exactly. so the the yeah. fruit is not as fr- it's not as sweet it's cuz it was, you know, it's not really ripe. It's it's sort of fake ripened. It's forced into ripening whereas you know, you pick it up at the farmer's market, it might not have as long a shelf life because it's actually ripe and it goes from ripe to rotten more quickly. But that's because it's ripe and tastes better right up front, you know. Yeah. Because they picked oh, it when it was ready to be picked as opposed to picking it when it was ready to be shipped.
1: Yeah, we, we love berries and berries don't ship very well. And when and we happen to be in an area where you can get lots of good, fresh berries locally. Mm-hmm. And so that's the biggest improvement that we, we see when we go shopping at the farmer's market is the, the things that we like the best a variety of berries mm-hmm. are so much better now sometimes uh, in the store you see I, I've i seen in order to get raspberries in the store uh, that are tasty and sweet uh, they, they try to pick them a list you know as late as they possibly can because there's all a difference in the world but then you get these red raspberries that are mushy almost when you buy them, and next day they got uh, a gray mold on them, you know? So I, I was very unhappy with the, with the normal store market regarding raspberries. Don't have that problem at all. Raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, everything mm-hmm. we can, in the local store is much better.
0: Much yeah. Much better. Yeah, no, I think that's one of the advantages that farmers market have is that their their, uh, their technology allows you to actually get ripened fruits and vegetables as opposed to, um, uh, you know, pseudo-ripened well, yeah. fruits and vegetables. It, it, well, and then,
1: another thing has a lot to do with where do you live. You know, we're, yeah. we're, we're in sort of garden country around here. Lots yeah. Of still seemingly small farms compared to what I, we used to have out in the Midwest. Right. that uh, raise this stuff. Uh, even in towns, there's a lot of people who have really large gardens, but they, they, mm-hmm. they take the excess and bring it to the market, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and California is that way, too. You know, here where I live, there's there's um, all kinds of, of uh, farms, especially in the central part of the state. And so um, stuff... You know that they're growing up there, gets trucked around. and There's lots of strawberries here in Southern California that get grown. The one thing you do learn when you, when you start eating and, and using farmer's markets is you go back to more seasonal eating, right? So certain things are at different seasons right. grown, whereas at the grocery store, they ship it in from all over the world, and, uh, which is awesome that they can do that. But again, they're picking it you know, before it's really ripe. And so a lot of your fruits are not as sweet and your vegetables are not as flavorful and uh and likewise, you know from what I've read, the nutrition is not as uh as high as it could be because the stuff was all pr- picked too early in order to ship and yeah. um and so there's a lot of advantages so there we go that's our 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 tech tie in hey. right we we we've uh health tech buy it buy it <laughs> a farmer's market there's your tech tip for the day on on
1: i I, I was noticing on the t v this morning that they're now having a uh farm fest remember Willie Nelson and uh, and his guys. Oh, and, uh huh. This morning. Uh, Farm Aid. Yeah, Farm Aid uh, shows, and uh, uh-huh. I was trying to think of the guy that younger fellow that's doing it this year. Can't. Anyway, he he sang a song, uh-huh. but you, you would have recognized him. I, I knew the name, but uh, didn't really know the song. Or, but uh, there's another a new group of people. Better.
0: Yeah, I mean um, Willie's still involved but he's he's pretty old guy now and so apparently even when I haven't seen it, but apparently even when he, he travels in concert that uh um he's one of his kids. I mean he's got a couple kids that are on in his band, but uh they sort of pick up the slack in a lot of ways. Um yeah. Dave Na- Dave Matthews has been involved with it a long time and that's, so is Neil, that's Neil the guy. Yeah, and Neil Young as well. Yeah. Um Neil Young's yeah. not a spring chicken either though, so um yeah. john mellencamp is another guy that's been involved with farm aid for a lot of years yep, yep. but uh yeah dave matthews is probably the youngest of that bunch and so uh yeah,
1: he, he's a good singer he's good yeah
0: yeah uh, i'm i'm glad to see that you know there's another generation of people picking up the cause and saying hey you know let's uh let's not forget the american farmer you know we we. Create food to, to feed the world, and we should.
1: Well, uh, you know, they're in they're they're into one of the riskiest businesses. You know, I I knew when I was growing up that my dad lived on bank loans. You know, yeah. sometimes both he and the bank made out big, but the bank would lose sometimes as well because they
0: uh-huh.
1: had loans that where there was a certain part of the risk that the banks would cover up. Otherwise, they couldn't have been in business.
0: Yeah, it was just it's a yeah. Banking business. and farming go hand in hand, don't they?
1: yep they, people they don't sure think do. about that but uh anyway uh, that growing up like that i I really appreciate it, and boy, when you have several bad years in a row or for whatever reason uh you get in real dire circumstances because' mm-hmm. the problem is is it's such a big investment sitting out there, your stuff's getting older and wearing out and and uh it's got to be replaced every once in a while, or you're out of business and uh you know mm-hmm. today, just to go buy a tractor a normal tractor that that you'd use in well they call it big farming here maybe but uh those those tractors cost over a hundred thousand dollars yeah you know that's not an inexpensive <laughs> item yeah
0: well you and know. it has a it has a limited lifetime you know as much as you want to take care of it it has a limited lifetime you know right. and in any any one season uh you know you're dependent on you know not having tornadoes and hurricanes come through and wipe out your crop you know
1: yeah and 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 things like uh harvesters or what we call combines uh it was an even bigger machine and it's used only for maybe two to three weeks seldom more than two but yeah uh, out of the entire year other than that it sat still yeah but it it was it it used to be that every farmer had their own machine right so they because they could do it but then well the prop that pro- can its own industry, you know.
0: Yeah, well, re- even renting that stuff is difficult because, unfortunately, they're all needed at the same time. It's not like you can go sequentially very much. You might be able to by right. a week or two. But, you know, well, all the crops come no, come in about the same well, time, roughly.
1: No, no, not really. Uh, they start, uh, the at least the wheat farmers, that's all I know about, uh, they would start uh, in Texas about a month ahead of when we had it and then it was; it would last for at least another month, going on up to North Dakota. So the right. whole wheat belt is a long place, and and they ripened as you went north. You know,
0: you'd, well, well, you'd I understand that, but what I'm saying is, is that it, there's, you know, everybody in your surrounding areas, crops are all coming in about the same time. So it's not like, oh yeah, you know, it's not like oh, you could locally a, have a, a renter who's going to say, hey, I'll rent. You know, you don't have to buy it; I'll rent it because they would have had to have the same number as everybody having their own would have you know i mean if you look at it more more globally like across the the region or the united states then you can say yeah different areas have weather that hits slightly differently but uh
1: well ultimately those just became businesses where there was a business who owns x number of harvesters and and they'd had had the whole crew that was regularly with them and they would spend maybe three months out of the year uh you know moving as the harvest ripened uh across the Middle of the country, yeah, uh, and, and this is for wheat harvest. I have no idea about the other things, uh, like in California, uh, mm-hmm. with all those vegetables and cantaloupes and that. almonds. That, that's there's lots lot.
0: of almonds in the middle of the state as well,
1: right? So I'm not just sure how they manage all of that.
0: Largely of that is <laughs> <hand-picked>. <laughs> largely with illegal aliens handpicking it. Yeah, that's how they yeah. do it. You know, they 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 pay minimal wages to people who. Who are afraid of being deported at any moment, and uh, and they go out in the fields and pick our food.
1: Yep, yep. Well, they have speeded that up a lot with the uh, conveyor belts and stuff that they, so the harvesters don't have to put it in baskets and then walk with it. They just put it on right. the conveyor belt as it sort of gradually moves along.
0: Yeah, yeah. You like way- walk down one row and dump it into a, a conveyor belt that loads it up into a hopper, right? Um,
1: right. So there's there were ways that they made that more efficient and uh, and they get more mm-hmm. stuff out of the field quicker. St-
0: still but, hard to believe that 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 a large to a large extent though it's it's somebody out there, you know, picking it off of the plant or or tree and carrying it to the end of the road to put onto a conveyor belt.
1: I yeah you know I did that, Todd. I was one of those harvesters for a while, at least one year, entire year. And I would pick until I get a truckload, and then I would drive the truck around to about a oh, dozen cities that had two or three different markets in some of them, and some of them just single-market towns because they're too small, and and uh, provide whatever the store wanted. And by the end of the day, I would end up with a truck that still had melons rolling around on the floor back there. Uh, and then the the rule was, that after a certain time, and I think it was 6 o'clock in the evening or 7 o'clock, then I could sit by the roadside, and whatever I sold was was my wages for the day. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. And and so I I sold a lot of cantaloupe off the back of the truck because people knew that I would come and park in certain places. And I always did a regular routine thing so they could depend on me being there. It's kind of genius because
0: that incentivizes you to pick as much as you can, right? Because... Because you want some leftover at the end of the day, otherwise you don't get paid.
1: Right. Well, and you never knew how many the stores were going to take. You didn't want to come up short. Right. Because the stores, uh, you know, that was just another outlet, of course. But anyway, Mm -hmm. I sat along the roadside sometimes until dark, you know, just because people were still coming to buy the stuff. And then oftentimes, when before uh, I went back the next day to... Start picking some more and filling the truck. Uh, just dump those melons. There was a place, a river bank that we'd back up to. And uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: of course, they, after being out in the sun all day, that some of them were mush.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you dumped them in the river.
1: Well, we dumped them on the bank. They, I don't know if they ever made it to the river.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You, the, the problem is you. You, you didn't really want to get up to the edge of the bank either because those things would fall off every once in a while. There were certain places that you. That was yeah. always a concern <laughs> to me.
0: Yeah, you lose a truck.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't want to be in it either.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's bad news. Rivers so are dangerous very, places.
1: Very often I would sort of end up kicking a few, you know, uh, like a place kicker or a football kickoff, you know. Well, you got to have uh, some fun. Yeah. Get it, just to get them over the edge.
0: So have you read anything about uh, about this lawsuit with the game maker Fortnite and Apple and what their complaints are?
1: I've seen a lot of headlines, but again uh, I, I don't know enough about it. Yeah. I don't even know what the Fortnite thing is all about. I'm yeah. assuming it's, it's just a normal it's a game. shoot 'em a up kind of... It is. Yeah. It's
0: a game. Yeah, it's just a game so that's been very popular. popular. It's been very popular, and you know, Fortnite has made a couple million dollars or billion dollars, rather, off of it. Um, the the thing with Fortnite is the game itself is actually absolutely free. You can download the game and play it. But uh, if you want your character to look different or have different weapons or anything like that, skins, then you have to pay for those. And so you buy yeah. Fortnite bucks. And Fortnite's complaining that Apple is taking 30%, and so they're saying we should have a better deal than that. And... Uh, and so what they did is they just put a function in their game that said, "Buy bucks. You can buy them either using Apple or you can buy them from us. And if you buy them from us, they're seven ninety nine. If you buy them from Apple, they're they're nine ninety nine. Ours are thirty <laughs> percent. Actually, I guess they're only twenty percent <laughs> less. You know. And uh, so I, I guess that's day. their way of saying that they think Apple should be charging ten percent. But as several people yeah. have pointed out, and this is you know, at their at Fortnite basically created this whole problem by breaking the rules because they knew the rules when Apple, you know, set up the, the app store was 30%. And they also, um, did the same thing at the Google play store and Google play also charges 30%. Um, I noticed they didn't take their app off of, or they didn't have an issue or didn't make, uh, create payments that go around the paying payment system when for, uh, Microsoft's Xbox or Sony's PlayStation or the Nintendo, uh, switch. Because yeah. you know they pay thirty percent there too, and they yeah. didn't do it, and so you know I, I look at that and I go, well, you know why is their thirty percent okay, but the thirty percent that Apple's charging not okay? I think that invalidates their whole argument
1: yeah you know it's it's tough when you look at it from from uh, the standpoint of the game players, but the fact is is that there's there's no opportunity at to make that money at all if you didn't have platforms you know mm-hmm. and the platform guys just saying i you know i deserve a certain share and they right. they in a position to make the rules as to how much and uh you know, the the real problem with a lot of this is the guys that are starting out you know they don't uh, they have no idea how popular their game is going to be but they make it as good as they can right uh, but when it when it becomes a hit that's when they get greedy because right. they look at the checks that they're writing to Apple each month, and uh, said, "Holy cow, look at what we're losing."
0: Yeah, they had to write a couple hundred million dollar check. Well, they didn't even write it to it. Apple takes it before they see it. But Apple got a couple hundred million yeah. dollars off of that game. Now they got over a billion dollars in one year. They've they've had like three billion dollars, three or three and a half billion dollars total off this one game. And in this particular instance, it's not like a developer this is a huge group of developers working for a big company epic games is one of the largest game developers out there um and Mm -hmm. so you know this is not a small helpless individual developer who wrote this game you know these most games today couldn't be written by an individual they're way too complex and way too big and they've got they've got you know story development people and graphics development people and and you know game engine development people and all kinds of stuff involved and um And uh, so, you know, it's a big production to create one of these games. And so, yeah, it cost them a lot of money to make it, but it's made them a ton of money as well. Um, I don't know. I think I think you're right, though. I, from my perspective, Epic Games is just being greedy. Um, you know, that the the 30 percent is clearly what the industry is charging. And and they're saying, well, that's way too much for just processing our charges. But, you know, it's not it's not just Credit card processing that they're doing. They're they're also providing the and maintaining the the store in which everything is sold and works through, and developing the the platform and the operating system and the development tools that you use to create the game for this platform. And you know, and as they said when they launched it, they they very intentionally um, have free down downloadable games that have no costs whatsoever uh and apps and they did that and and so you're partially subsidizing that and that was you know by intent because in their in their world they said there are developers out there who want to create utilities and things that are free that don't make any money and they have a right to exist and we have to figure out a way to make that happen without You know, us losing money. So, so, so we're going to charge you a certain amount to help us cover all those costs, you know, not to mention the, the giant data, um, uh, data centers that they had to build in order to, you know, keep all this stuff out there. Everybody's accounts reside on servers somewhere.
1: By the way, the other significant thing that the, the, that the developers get for free in most cases—I don't know if they if they have to pay for all, uh, some of these—but uh, like uh, Apple spent a lot of money developing this Swift user interface framework, R, what they call Arc Kit, uh, new Xcode tools, and 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 made them really faster and. And Easier to use than than ever before just a year ago. I'm looking at an article 2019 And and all of this are to to help those developers make those products You know Individual developers don't go out and develop their own tools. They're just again a specialty and and in order to make them work Well, they have to be done by the companies who make the hardware to do it really right right and so it's not just being able to run mm-hmm. this stuff on Apple products. It's having all those those things that allow
0: them to do
1: the sophisticated things they're doing.
0: Right. Well, that's you know? why I said I had included the uh, creation of the development tools and stuff, but you went into a lot more detail there. Now, there are those who would say that Apple's doing that so that you'll build stuff for their hardware and that the sale of their hardware is... Has sufficient markup to cover the cost of all that development because they had all those development things in there before they ever had an app store. You know.
1: Well, they they have, but the the, the issue with that is is that they keep making them better and better as their hardware is more and more capable. Right. Uh, so the tools have changed dramatically as that hardware has improved. Right. So this is not a one time thing.
0: Yeah. It well, just and continues
1: because. That's what keeps Apple in, in business, you know. Is right. You've got, you got to make it easier and have more capability in your competition.
0: Right. Well, and the reason that there, there's an app store at all, or I shouldn't say the reason, but um, the the existence of developer tools and the app store did coincide with iOS because when they launched the iPhone, there were neither. Right. The only way to get an app on there was to do it as a web app and and save it to the desktop. And you know, and then the following year, when they had all the developer tools ready, then they said, "Okay, now we're going to launch an app store." Because it wouldn't have made sense if they had an app store and then no way of creating apps for it. So they had to create yeah. all that infrastructure. And like you said, they didn't. It wasn't a one-time thing. And then it sits there, you know, like a statue that everybody can then admire. It's they're continually yeah. going through it, upgrading and and improving and and adding to their development tools. Uh, and now which, with the-
1: now with the latest uh, uh, Apple hardware, you know the uh, the, the Apple um, what do they call it? Uh, Apple processors. Uh, they, oh,
0: they, the uh, uh, Apple silicon is what they refer to it as.
1: A- yeah, a- Apple Apple silicon. Uh, it's going to be even easier for developers to put whatever they develop on every one of their app their platforms, so they won't have to redo things and learn a lot a lot more. So uh you know it'll it'll just all be handled by apple uh, tools for them you know
0: yeah well in fact they won't have to do anything um to make things uh run on on Macs. the Macs will natively be able to run um ios and ipad os applications
1: well so. it'll be interesting to there will be some difference is just because of the input capabilities of all of these devices. There's some variance. You, right,
0: you know. but that's going to be handled by the operating system. You will still be able to recompile it and make a version that's specific to the Mac, but that's you will true. be able but to run... User, but you will be able... Interact. You will be able to, and they have said this, directly run any iOS or iPadOS on your Mac. Now... yes. That means that you know either they're going to, with the Intel Max, give you a touch screen, which they have said they weren't going to do, um, or you will be able to, um, you know, they're going to they're going to build into the operating system something that the touchpad and or mouse can duplicate um, that will be, you know, a, a a a representation of the gestures that you would be Good, able to I'm get.
1: Glad you did. I'm glad you didn't say equivalent because there's some big differences to how you try to match up the I.O. from one device to another. Right. There's not a one one correspondence. And therein lies a bit of an issue for a developer because sometimes it'll work well in one type of an interface and not with another. You know, depending what you want to do. So, it's not that you've taken the developers out of interface development. It's uh, because they still have to have some control, uh, if if it's if uh, for people running on another device, I'm just not sure how that's going to work and how easy that's going to be.
0: Yeah, you I understand. you know I I mean yeah I, I fully understand what you're saying yeah and I mean yeah you're right I mean things that are, are touch gestures don't don't easily translate to mouse clicks um, and the flip side is true as well you you know you get uh, it's much easier to to point to a almost single pixel with a mouse or touchpad than it is touching, you know, big fat finger onto a screen. And so for very fine control, touchpads and mice are better. And so there are, you know, each device has its strengths and weaknesses, um, and how they, they, um, assimilate the, the various input devices in order to, to make the apps functional be interesting to see how they work that out. Um, Yep. I think that they've taken some baby steps in that respect by making uh, iPad OS mouse compatible. Mouse and touchpad compatible. By doing that, they, I think they were honestly exploring some ideas there as to how to go about doing that. Yeah. You know, I would be yeah. shocked if, in fact, I will bet you money that iPad um, OS apps, when you run them on the Mac will work just like they would on the i on the ipad if you were using a touchpad or mouse because they've already got the interface there they built it and so they in fact that's probably the whole reason that they they made it available on ios was because oh well we've already built it we might as well make it available on ios as well you know for people who want to use their ipad like a like a desktop yeah you suppose you'll ever
1: have a have a a situation where somebody with their iPhone says, "Oh, I better plug in my mouse."
0: <laughs> you never know. You <laughs> never know. You know, I did a, a, a thing. Um, it's been about three or four years um, ago where I, for a week, used my iPhone as my only device. I set up an Apple TV on my um, on my computer monitor so that I could then share my screen of my, my phone. So I sat my phone down, excuse me, sat my phone down and shared the screen up to the, um, up to the Mac and, and then used that as my interface. And so I could sit down with the keyboard and type on the screen and everything I did, all my calendar work, all my, my, uh, emails, all my writing, I did it all through the phone. And surprisingly it was pretty functional and i would imagine if i did it today some years later it would be even more functional it wasn't perfect it was weird um but i just thought well you know i'm gonna try it and i tried it and um you know now that they support mouse input input better um i would be i would probably be shocked at how easy it works you know um samsung for a while has had a dock that you could buy, for that, that was that you would sit down and the dock was plugged into your keyboard, mouse, and screen, and you just sat yeah. your phone on it, and then it became uh, your computer. And it was designed to do that. And they, it actually they had a, an interface that that popped up that made it look more like a desktop. It looked more like Chrome than it did Android when it was in that mode. And uh, yeah. I played with one once in a in a store. I don't remember it was. 18T or Verizon or something I played with that setup and I was impressed I thought you know that's something that they should be developing further because well for most people you know, their ten, personal computer is their phone
1: yeah 10, ten years or so ago uh, you know I'd see the iPhone came out by, by 2007 I think yeah. anyway I there were not just myself but a lot of people thinking hey you know that's a, that was a lot of power in a little device a phone. Why can't mm-hmm. I just plug that into a or, or sit it down and have keyboard and all the other stuff that I have and the display and the right. TV or cheap displays and use my iPhone and do it all, not forget about the computer, you know? Right. Uh, and that's what I'm saying they've done. If, you know? Now the iPad gives you the larger screen so you have a portable screen basically.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. but, but if you're if you're that, setting it so down and plugging like, if you're setting it down and plugging it into a screen keyboard and mouse, then who cares how big the screen is?
1: right right you know but but I'm just saying the only thing that you you you're constrained by with your little iPhone and if you if you want it to be mobile is screen size so that's that's where the iPad comes in I can see someday mm-hmm. where the computers might be really an obsolete device uh, as long as you got the inter other uh, io that you want mm-hmm. and the horsepower you know yeah why, why do well I there's why there's certainly a computer for from an iPad you know
0: yeah I mean they are computers they're just different interfaces and have some additional functionality you know and and some of that functionality is just um, you know a a decision by the um, uh, manufacturer that's their choice right I mean right. Apple Apple makes a distinction between the you know a Mac and a, and an iOS device in, in a variety of ways. I mean, they say that Macs will not have touch interfaces. That's what they've said up to well, this point. You know, And that's well, the choice that they made. They also made the choice but, that Macs will not have cellular modems built into them. So far, it right. well, doesn't the, mean that won't the change.
1: The conundrum that they addressed is they realized that there's a lot of people who would like to use computers, but they don't want the complexity of computer interfaces. So the iOS was their device to provide an easy-to-use a screen that was portable that's really what it amounts to uh, well I mean that that's a
0: simplification because I think there was more thought to it than that too. I think they also very much wanted to have that um, that closed uh closed loop where you got all your software through uh you know I think even though they initially launched it without the app store, the intent from the beginning was that they would have an app store and that everything would be in there. It just wasn't ready yet and so of course, when they announced it, oh yeah, well, you know we're not going to do apps we're going to do it this way. You know, because Steve Jobs is real good about saying, yeah, nobody wants to watch video on a little screen until we have video on a little screen. You know, he oh, poos yeah. he poos what the other guys are doing until he's able to do it, too, and do it better, you know, at least in his yeah. mind. And and that's how yeah. he handled it, you know. with But,
1: but still, still Apple today, still has that. Uh, you know, even though I grew up with computers, I just love my iPad so much that I almost hate to pick up the computer.
0: Right. I mean, but remember, you know just, your your use case is different than a lot of people, and that you don't work at a job anymore. You 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 know, and you you do almost all your computing at home on your couch, right? Um, yes, uh, and I and I
1: agree. If you're going to type a lot, you don't want to. You know, you got to have a keyboard. Right. But what <laughs> I'm saying
0: is that more people use their phone than their iPad. It's a much more popular device for a reason. That's because people are on the go. They're out. Most people are not. You know, as homebound as you are. And so they're out and about and they do their computing while they're standing in line at the grocery store and while they're riding the bus and while they're, you know, even when they're sitting at their office, they grab their phone to do a lot of their computing. You know, so I think that's the better. And and in fact, I think Apple has even kind of created it as a hub device, you know, and so you have peripherals like your Apple Watch and your ear pods and things that are going to tie in and these these rumored uh, Apple glasses, you know, and all that stuff's going to tie back into your phone. And quite frankly, once they have the ARM processor in in um, in the Mac, there's absolutely no reason that your phone couldn't sit into a dock and when it then comes up on the big screen that's attached to a, you know, if that dock is attached to a keyboard, a mouse, or a touchpad, and a, and a bigger screen, that... The bigger screen is macOS off the same device off your phone, and when you yeah. unplug it from the dock, then it's back to being uh, iOS because that's the better interface yeah. for when you're touching on a tiny screen. Uh, and so you just carry your Mac around with you, and uh, and you know when you're not using it, you put it on the dock and it's charged up while it's sitting on the dock, and it becomes you know your Mac. And that so- way you have all your stuff with you all the time. The ultimate security, right? It's with you
1: yep yep it's uh it's it's uh, interesting to see where this is going in the future mm-hmm. because uh, right. uh, and, and it's just getting started. We're right at the front mm-hmm. end of
0: it yeah well it's funny though you know how, how many times have we said that with computer technology you know we just keep finding like it it, it, it it it's like it's like an onion, right you peel back one layer. I was listening yeah. to a podcast the other day where they were talking about early days of computing for them. And and one of the guys was like, Well, you know, I wanted an Apple II, but it was a you know, twenty four hundred dollar computer and there's no way on earth my parents were gonna buy me that. So I had I had an Atari four hundred because it was, you know, famously like eighty nine bucks at one point. I remember you bought one when it was eighty nine bucks because you could yep. trade it. Because right. remember that deal it was it yeah. was uh, I think we've yeah. talked about it before where uh they said turn tra- Yeah, trade in any computer and we'll give you a hundred dollars off on a Commodore sixty four. And then you were able to go find an Apple, or not an Apple, a uh, uh, an Atari, Atari computer that was marked down. I think this was, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, well, yeah. shoot. And I got a weekend of playing with an Atari computer because I'd never had one before, right? So, yeah, I right. remember you and I sat down with the Atari computer and played with it all weekend. And then boxed it all up and traded it in and bought a Commodore 64, which yep. by all accounts was a better computer at that point in time.
1: Yeah. Well, there was a gaming machines, really.
0: The Atari that sort was, of was. That was it like, sat sort of halfway between yeah. computer and game, didn't it? Uh, in yep. fact, remember, that didn't even have a real keyboard. It had, um, like, a membrane that had... Right,
1: that was really, really bad.
0: Yeah, it really was bad. horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. Um, at least the Com- the Commodore 64 was basically a keyboard. That's what the computer was. They built the computer right. into a keyboard, and you just plugged it into a monitor and... And... Uh, and uh, a mouse and then you were good to go i think it came with a mouse but uh commodore 64 that was a that was a fun fun computer but you know i mean that was like okay that was a cool step up you know and then i remember you got the uh the uh, trs80 color computer uh mostly because they had an operating system that was far advanced over others at that time
1: yeah it it was a real-time uh processing basically the uh, i forgot i'm not using the right words um multitasking right it was a multitasker that was the that was os9 yep os9
0: yeah and how they came up with nine i don't know but that that um you know they had uh, a good multitasking system that worked on a color computer way before ibm and mac
1: right Yeah and 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 it was interesting they were starting to develop some of the things that multitasking uh, you know allows you to do uh that uh, of course we take for granted now but mhm back in the good old days oh i forgot what came before the uh before Windows, When 95 was the first successful Windows, wasn't it? Yeah, and they,
0: well, it, I won't say it was the first successful one, but it was the one that was a big deal. I mean, I remember, I remember waiting in line, and it was just like a week ago that it was, what, uh, 45 years ago? That, that it, uh, yeah, I mean, because it, it was in late August. And I remember I was uh, living and working in Ventura for the newspaper up there at that time. And Hmm. uh, I went down to the Best Buy store that evening because the night, like it it was released like at midnight or something uh, on the night that it was available. And I remember going down there and waiting and buying a copy at midnight, coming home and loading it on my computer. I was up till like two in the morning and then got up, went to work the next morning. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But it was funny because I remember the next day I had people at the newspaper coming to me asking about it. Said, you know, what do you know about it? What do you know? I was like, oh, I went and got it last night. Loaded it up. <laughs> Here it is. Look at it. It's cool. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, speaking of the past, uh, I, I play this little seven little words game. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Actually, two of them. They both work differently on the my iPad every day. I, I play them. And just yesterday, I had one that said uh, the uh, the owner of USA Today. And man it immediately mm-hmm. hit me that's the company you used to work for and I found G A N E T T <laughs> Yep,
0: Gannett I I said 45. It was 25 years ago. It was released August 15th, 1995. Yeah. Or uh, oh, avail, available August 24th. It was released to manufacturing on the 15th. It was available well, August 24th.
1: To, you didn't have to guess about the year, did you? <laughs> so. <laughs> you
0: know, yeah, there's a
1: lot of this stuff. You don't, you know, you say, "Well, when the hell was that?" You know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you try to remember and remember the battle back then. There was a big uh, argument going back and forth between uh, OS two and uh, and Windows.
1: Oh, oh, remember because right.
0: IBM tried to say or tried to branch away and said. In fact, for a while they were doing it together, and then and then Microsoft dropped OS two and said, "No, we're going to do our own thing." Um, yep. And IBM shipped OS2 as a replacement for Windows. And it was one of those deals where everybody kept saying, technically, OS2 is a better design. It's a better operating system. And all the consumers went, but I don't care. Windows is what I want. (laughs) Which I'm sure just drove the engineers at IBM absolutely batty.
1: Yep. Well, you know, Mm -hmm. they looked at it from a technology standpoint instead of a user standpoint that's what it always mm-hmm. comes down to you know if you sell somebody on a user interface then you better just keep that interface and, and move it along gradually which is how Windows succeeded mm-hmm. you know they got them hooked and then they just went, well each year we'll throw in a few more goodies you know and they evolve it otherwise people don't follow you they, they don't want to start over <coughs> That's
0: something. yeah yeah and, and you know sweet. and Microsoft owned the name windows, and so even though underneath it could be something totally different didn 't matter it was right. it was windows and I remember well, you know honestly I was much more i mean i I went and got windows the night it was released, but I was much more excited and interested in uh windows NT and oh, yeah you know, and the original NT i mean I had the original NT up and running on a server uh uh, several years before that uh but it was sort of like windows n t version four and then windows two thousand that where that became uh you know sort of the the guts of of a much much better more solid operating system because even windows ninety five still was basically dos underneath it
1: right right so that was the last thing I used i think before I went to the mac and the good thing about the Mac in those days is they had picked up enough of the uh, user interface standards that Microsoft had set, you know, just in terms of key strokes, you know, control X, mm-hmm. C, B for cut and paste kind of functions. They were, you know, a lot of little things like that that were the same. And so you, um, could, you could move over.
0: Yeah. Now, I don't know if they were on the Xerox PARC system that they both sort of evolved out of, but that cut, copy, and paste was a standard on the Mac years before Windows existed. So that right? Windows got that from, from the Mac, not the other way around.
1: Okay. But it, but at least when when I was going from Windows to Mac, and I didn't find that transition to be too tough. There was just a, enough yeah. similarity. The, the main thing I had to relearn is just the names of the apps, you know, Safari instead of whatever the browser is on the I, – I don't even remember the Mac or the Apple, excuse me, the uh, – Microsoft names anymore; they're pro- programs. I have to think about it. Yeah, uh, you, you, you know, and and I don't even know some of the Mac ones today, like the word processor, because I don't use it. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. not the word processor, the uh, uh, PowerPoint equivalent. Uh mm, huh.
0: Yeah, because I don't. I'm
1: I'm not in business, so I don't make presentations. You know, so I never use that app.
0: Right. Well, and in fact, a lot of people when when uh, Apple came out with that in fact it was there's a fairly f- well known story behind that is that uh, Steve Jobs was using PowerPoint and he didn't like using a Microsoft product uh, at the at the keynote presentations and so yeah. he had his developers create Keynote, which is what it 's called and keynote oh, okay. uh, at least early on was recognized as being far superior in terms of you know, graphics and motion and things like that, stuff that PowerPoint eventually copied and added in. But, um, you know, he didn't want to use a Microsoft product at his keynote presentations, and so he had them create Keynote. Um, and, and then that evolved into uh, them making pages and numbers, which are their spreadsheet and word yeah. processor. And the same thing, you know, it's like he says, why am I using somebody else's products in a company where we make this stuff? We, well, why aren't we making stuff that's that's good enough for us to use? And, uh, you know, it was a valid question, I guess. And I think the answer had been for a long time, well, we're not really a software company. We're a hardware company. And, you know, Steve's right. sort of premise was, no, we're a user experience company. And, and <laughs> you know, we're uh, we're going to provide the best experience by, by controlling everything. We're going to make all the parts. Um, yep. You know, which turned out to be a pretty successful... Um, uh, Pretty successful policy for them.
1: Yep. You know, and and other than the names for the products, you know, basically they, they in many ways, function similarly. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like numbers. You know, and mm-hmm. Excel never seemed to me to be a, a, a sensible name. You know, numbers make sense. That's what you do with spreadsheets. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like
0: the Google version of that is called Sheets because... They're spreadsheets, right? Oh, so, yeah, sheets. So sheets is Google's version, and numbers is my or is uh, Apple's version. Apple. Yeah, Excel. I don't know where that name came from. You know, like uh, like Steve Jobs yeah, well, said, Microsoft has no style. They <laughs> just slapped Yeah, it together.
1: I, I, I forgot what. Great engineering. Uh, remember, not, not remember the original spreadsheet. I forgot the name of it now, but uh, it, well, the 123...
0: 123, yeah, well, Lotus 123 wasn't the original one. Lotus 123 became the most popular. But um, uh, before Lotus 123, there was uh, VisiCalc. Oh,
1: yeah, that's right. Yeah, VisiCalc.
0: Yep. Yeah, so VisiCalc was sort of the first one that created the idea of hey, you can manage numbers and manipulate them. And then 123 came along and just made everything work better. They rethought the process, and 123 was dominant. I mean, Lotus 123 yeah. was what every accounting department everywhere used. Yeah, uh,
1: that's where it really took off.
0: I remember you know, working then- in a newspaper where the, the uh, CFO literally still had giant sheets of like three-and-a-half-foot by four-and-a-half-foot pages of spreadsheets and that's where the finances of the company were managed was on his spreadsheets and he had people in his department who were using uh, IBM computers with Lotus one, two, three on them and they would do everything and then bring him numbers that they had worked out. And he would compare those numbers against the manual spreadsheets that he did and tell them whether they were right or not. So he, he used the one, two, three as a, as a backup. To his well, well, his you know, books. being an
1: engineer, I'll never forget that, that I didn't appreciate the uh, uh, adoption of uh, Excel until I got to, I had a job working down at Boeing, and they mm-hmm. had every branch of their engineering departments, everybody did their own spreadsheets, right? And the problem that they had. Is that uh, nobody was able to communicate with each other without sending them a, a page of you know the, that particular file for the, for their spreadsheet numbers. Then the guy had to figure out how to get the numbers, get them off of that spreadsheet and into their spreadsheet. Right. And so there were all kinds of errors that were popping up in the company because people would uh, unknowingly. Uh, copy something offset by a, lot, a row or you know yeah. whatever. easy to transpose numbers
0: um, when you're dealing yeah. with spreadsheets
1: and so uh, they they had Microsoft Office and uh, and so I said ah well the solution is it is uh, is the database what was it called then uh, uh, um, access access
0: oh the Microsoft database access yeah
1: Mi- Microsoft database because I knew that you could easily grab s- spreadsheets and put them on access and make them accessible to other people. That was the link for communications. And so being a database, it could be uh, pull all this stuff together. Well once uh, I knew that, then I met with some engineers from different departments and we talked about how do we then pull this information together in a common data set you know so that nobody repeats you know one guy is responsible for this set of data in the data database mm-hmm. and the other guy's responsible for this and this and this and then we can put them out in all kinds of different reports you know and so all we got to do is collaborate so yeah. i put together the basic structure for them with about four or five departments and within a month we virtually had the entire engineering groups the whole everybody at that location interconnected by access and made things work smoothly. But the most important one was that when they finally came to uh, had the all data together, consistent, so that we we get rid of a lot of the errors, then they wanted to, they had all kinds of test uh, articles and test stations, and that information came from different places. Well, all of, all of it was now together in the one database, and the mm-hmm. only thing we needed was an interface to the numeric control numeric controlled machines ncr is what they call them i think is that no not ncr control m well whatever it was uh, they had to have binary code that was the way those machines were set up and so i made writing in visual basic made some really efficient translators for all kinds of data including scaling the the num- of the numbers so and and those scaling factors that i'd put on them between the actual data and the machi- the machine itself uh, uh, had uh, uh, the dip- what do you call it, dimensions or something you know like feet per second or whatever that goes with it uh, we could we could uh, let the uh, specific engineers were assigned so that they could control the scaling and and other things that ne- necessary for the machine as well as uh, translation to the actual mm-hmm. uh, Bit patterns that were needed to feed into this box. I did all of that in Visual Basic, which I thought was absolutely amazing, and so did all the other engineers. says, how in the hell did you do binary manipulation with yeah. <laughs> with uh, Visual Basic? And you know what it was all about? It was lookup tables. Yeah. I built some some very clever lookup tables so that I could grab. Some, one piece of data. Yeah. Go well, and that's how you and, do it quickly. Yeah. And that's and how you was, do
0: it quickly because it's it's not it calculating anything.
1: That's yes, right. And yeah. so it was extremely efficient, and it worked just like a champ.
0: Yeah. And
1: they were well, you know, honestly,
0: awesome. I mean, you know, the the idea of using a database as opposed to a spreadsheet for certain solutions is obvious, but not always easy because it requires that somebody understand, you know, database construction and and uh, some level of programming. And although you, you might be an engineer, that might not be your area of expertise. So you, know, you were unique in that you had experience in both and were able to, right. to see the solution that other people might not have seen. But the other thing was you know, the, the advent of something like uh, Access being available. You know, Microsoft bought out yeah. Foxbase and then turned it into uh, Microsoft right. Access. And, you know, I mean, because I don't know if you remember, there was uh, Borland had a, a Paradox database out there that um, you know, was one of the top ones and the other was Fox Pro, and Fox Pro is the one that Microsoft bought out and then said, we're going to make that into our, um, you know, well, christened as the default.
1: Guy, yeah, I was a Paradox guy before uh, we got access.
0: Mm. Right. Okay. But access tied into a you know that that Visual Basic for Applications is what they exactly. called it. Exactly,
1: that was that but was it was the strength. That,
0: yeah, it, and that and that, that that helped the entire office suite to a level that I think and and see that came from somebody you expect that from somebody like Bill Gates who who's a programmer yep. who said we're going to design this underneath all of this stuff so that we can automate and tie in and it just becomes a much, much better tool. And quite honestly, you know, people forget how dominant WordPerfect was as a word processor and how dominant 123 was as a spreadsheet. But when we moved to Windows, it wasn't just that um, that uh, Word and Excel had, you know, took better advantage of the uh, graphical interface. It was that that time also coincided with uh, Apple, or with Apple, with Microsoft putting uh, that micro ba- Microsoft Basic for applications on all of their applications. And yeah. so yep. suddenly, you know, it wasn't just a, a word processor and a spreadsheet and a database and a, and a uh, presentation application. It was, those were all for iterations of a development environment that provided you with lots of capabilities that you could control programmatically and that's really what made those tools far superior to anything else that was available at that time
1: yep yep that that was the the genius if there was genius at microsoft that was that was the stroke of genius yeah and i'll i'll, I'll give that to bill gates i mean he was he was the guy who was running it then yeah and uh Yeah, uh, but I mean, you
0: see that written all, you know, you see him written all over that because that's the kind of decision he would make, is you know, is this, you know, I don't want a word processor, I don't want a spreadsheet, I want a word processor and spreadsheet that I can program, you know, Mm -hmm. and that that's that's his thinking, and uh, and it you know it 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 paid off, the uh, you know, Steve Jobs made a lot of fun over the years uh, and 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 repeated often how little. Uh, style and finesse Windows had, or that Microsoft had, but Microsoft had good engineering. You know, they may not mm-hmm. have had the the style and the and the the finishing touches that Apple has always put into their products. And, Apple, and and Apple initially didn't. I mean, like the the original Mac did not have particularly good engineering, and they were very slow to move to a a, a true multitasking operating system. And it wasn't until you know Steve had been ousted from the company and brought back. And when they bought him back, that was when he he you know, while he was off in the in the wilderness of non Apple world, when he created Next, that he was convinced by engineers that no, we need to have a preemptive multitasking operating system, and and he really started to understand how important that was. You know, he wasn't an engineer. Um, That's and, right. And it yeah. took him it took him a little longer to get that. Once he got it, it was like, oh, I see, and uh you know, and then circumstances brought him back to apple but uh had that not happened i think apple would have been in deep trouble i mean they were in deep trouble because they were still yep. running an operating system that was just archaic because their engineering wasn't as good and well there uh, was the
1: point there was the point in time when when uh, jobs came back from next mm-hmm. that uh take over apple and if he hadn't been a good friend of bill gates you wouldn't there wouldn't be an apple today
0: Right. Well, I don't even know that it was so much that they were good friends, but he was he was willing to reach out to Bill Gates, and Bill Gates was motivated in more than just the kindness of his heart. He wanted there to be yep. another operating system and competitor out there so that he could point to Apple and say, "We are not a uh, monopoly. A, a monopoly." And so he yep. needed Apple to stay alive, very much so. It was it was, yep. you know, it wasn't out of the goodness of his heart. There was some self-serving uh, reasons that that um, that there were, you know, that Microsoft made an investment in Apple and continued to create uh, Word and Excel for Apple, and still does to this day. Right. Um, yep. You know because But there, they, was, a
1: seven, but there was a seventy-five million dollar loan. Right. As I recall, at that I time. I think it was
0: more than that. I think it was like two hundred billion. It was pretty significant.
1: I don't know. I, but either way, Apple did well, pay I, it back. Well, I don't think it was billion at that time. I think we were still... I didn't say
0: billion. I said 200 million. You said 75 million. I think it was 200 million. Oh, I I could could have been. But...
1: um, Anyway, it was was interesting uh, technology that uh, I was really a a strong Microsoft guy just before I left and went to Apple because I, in fact, when, when I came over uh i think for the first
0: <laughs> so i looked it up two. it was 150 million we split the difference
1: oh is that right yeah oh. anyway, <laughs> it, it, anyway uh I, I went from having office products with, with that basic stuff that i was working on spending 100 percent of my time at work mm-hmm. uh, in fact i retired just after we the boeing contract uh was done and uh and after I was retired, that's when I finally uh, uh, went and got an Apple machine. And mm-hmm. I think I got word on my first Apple MacBook for a while, and then I finally decided no, mm-hmm. they went to subscription. You didn't buy it anymore. You know, you had to buy a contract, and I didn't didn't want to do that. Right. So.
0: so well, I remember you play up. you played around with Pages and and uh, and um, uh, numbers and stuff a little bit. Something that you never really did, though, and this was something that Apple had um, early on, even back in uh, OS Seven, which is well before you know OS Ten, which was their full multitasking, and that was they wrote Apple Script. Apple Script was a a complete scripting language that worked at the operating system level, which is something that uh, Microsoft didn't have, and honestly did a lot of the same same things that um that visual basic for applications did but it did it at the system level so they had some good ideas they just weren't always implemented as well as they could have been um but i always thought that yeah. was pretty amazing you know now yeah. my recollection but is and you I... t- oh go ahead
1: i was just going to say that apple script was in the first machine that i got and i i played around with it for a while but then decided that i don't really have a use for it you know and in fact, I didn't really have a use for all of Office products anymore. And that's when I just said, well, phooey, I, I have a word processor that for occasional use, a spreadsheet that I probably, of all of the, the, the three products, use more than anything else. And I never did get into Outlook or, or that device. That was kind of very primitive when I first, uh, when I left Apple. They, they announced it, but it was still crappy.
0: You mean when you left Microsoft?
1: Microsoft, that's what right. Right,
0: because Outlook is, is Microsoft's um, email product. And originally, Microsoft had a different email product on in on Office for Mac. It wasn't even Outlook. I mean, they eventually introduced Outlook, but originally they had something else. And for life, I can't remember what it was called. And it was generally accepted as being pretty garbage. And so most people didn't. Uh, uh, didn't. I, st-
1: I still have it.
0: It was like Envoy <laughs> or something like that?
1: no. It's, uh, boy, uh, dang, I can't think of, think of it now, but it's just a word process. I mean, just a, just a mail program, uh, Hotmail.
0: No, that's not what I'm talking about. Hotmail was, was the online software that they are email. They were talking about, I'm talking about, they had an, e, uh, a, uh, a e, an email client, that was included with Microsoft office for Mac, um, that, uh, that was, yeah, that was separate. I think they probably bought it from somebody and then repackaged it. Um, you know, it was, um, uh, not particularly well received and that's why they ended up then bringing Outlook to the Mac. So, Hey, I want to ask you a question and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the first Mac that I had... Well, I mean, I had had Macs because I worked in newspapers and all the creative people used Macs. So I'd been supporting Macs for most of my uh, professional career when I was working you know, in IT. and, and uh, uh, So i have been around Macs for a long time. But the first Mac that... Well, I shouldn't even say that, because I had some classic Macs, too. I have a Mac... In uh, fact, I think it's called a Mac Classic uh, sitting in storage. Um, but... I had a Power PC Mac. I the first Mac that I really had that made me start thinking about like, hey, I'm gonna use this instead of PCs, was a Mac Mini. And that Mac Mini was uh the first Mac that I had that ran OS 10 or a version of OS 10, but it was still a Power PC. It wasn't even on Intel yet. So I was using it before they switched to Intel. Now um uh my recollection was that after you coming over to my house and seeing my Mac and playing around with it, that that's when you decided you were going to get a Mac as well, and that's kind of how you switched to Mac.
1: Uh, well, the first one I bought was in 2008, and it was a MacBook 15-inch. I still have it sitting right here beside me. Right. Okay. Uh, and uh, at that point in time, uh, I didn't have a portable computer. Okay and uh i was impressed with the uh, the screen quality because i knew that they worked in the art area more so than business they weren't text oriented they they had better quality screens and uh let's see uh forgot what the other thing was although i look it's funny i say that i look at that old computer screen today and, and with my bad eyes it's all horrible <laughs> I think we've mm-hmm. talked about this before. You didn't see the difference that I do, but, but nevertheless, uh,
0: yeah, for whatever that, reason, I don't, that, I, I don't see that the that, first, go ahead. Uh,
1: the, the other thing was, is that prior to, well, maybe it wasn't prior now. No, it was after that. I bought one. Of, I, I, they had these really cheap computers, a hundred dollar computers for a while. I forgot what they called them. And one Christmas mm-hmm. I got mom, one of those, it was an absolute piece of
0: junk because yeah. the
1: touchpad on it didn't even work, and lots of other things. I, I think I got it from the guys in Texas, Dell. Uh, yeah, or maybe, yeah. I
0: can't remember what they. Uh, th- there was a, a genre of computer that they called those, and I'm blanking on the name of those too. But that sort of predated like Chromebooks and um, and uh, what are they? You know, yeah. The, the yeah. The it was little... just
1: meant to be cheap, but it was too cheap. <laughs> it was junk. You know, it was a wasted $100. Uh, but uh, any, anyway, uh, when I, when I w- went to Mac, I was by that time convinced, I think, for, you, you know, I knew you had one, and mm-hmm. I had played with it just a little bit at your place and, and sort of became convinced that I could handle that OS transition. And so uh, I think I bought mine on sale a good deal. I bought it mm-hmm. in Tampa Bay. Tampa, Florida. I went to the store down there, mm-hmm. and and picked it up.
0: That's when you and, went to Mac, yeah. See, and I, my first OS X Mac was that Mac Mini, and I, that was circa like two thousand and one, two thousand and two, somewhere in there. Um, and that was when they were still, like I said, fully Power PC. They weren't. Um, uh, they weren't no. even on Intel. In fact, they went from thirty-two to sixty-four bit on the Power PC. And then they went from there to Intel, and that happened in like 2004. Yeah, right around 2004. Yep. And so, well, that was uh,
1: part, that was part of the reason that I went to them too. Was uh, they had gone to Intel by then,
0: right? Yeah, and so 2008 would have been like Snow Leopard was the operating system. That was Mac OS 10.6. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep, I remember that. Oh, that was the... I'll tell you the main reason
0: that drove me away from
1: Windows. The main thing I did not want to hassle with was... It it seemed like every time prior to my getting the Mac that I sat down opened the damn thing, it wanted me to upgrade the the protection software.
0: Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah.
1: Oh, it was just outrageous. You didn't get any time to use your machine. You spent all your time... Upgrading the dang debugging mm-hmm. thing to keep viruses out. I mean, it was worse than a damn pandemic. Yeah. Uh, well, and
0: and I've, Windows went through a stage too where it seemed like they it, not only did it do that, but it would just shut down and reboot in the middle of what you were doing. It would just yeah. like I'm oh. I'm updating now, and so it would reboot, and then you'd have to drum your fingers for like twenty five thirty minutes while it rebooted, you know, and then reinstalled all this software.
1: Oh oh god, I hated horrible. that.
0: I yeah. That and the and, other and, thing, and I don't know if it's still the case because I haven't been in the, in the you know, Intel, the Windows PC world. Ever, but remember, there was a time when those computers were much cheaper because they came installed with a bunch of just garbage on them. And so yeah. as soon as you got a Windows PC, you basically oh. had to spend a day or more deleting all the garbage off of the hard. The hard drive was practically full when you got it because they put so much, you know, trial software to try this and try that. And, and so, you, you know, yeah. it's like the, the, you couldn't go buy a computer and use it if you were in Windows world. You had to yeah. buy a computer and then spend a day cleaning all the garbage off of it so that it was now a functional yeah. computer. And that was so different than the Mac experience of you come home, you push the button, it goes, and comes on and you're ready yeah. to work. Yeah,
1: I'm ready to work and no no antivirus software at all. In fact, yeah. nobody put any on, and I never have. Yeah, I just refused with Apple. Yeah, I said, you know, well, most I of the ph- things that have
0: had been problems for for Apple computers have been phishing things anyway. It, that that a uh, antivirus isn't going to save you from being stupid. You know, if right. you click if you click on on an email from a prince in Nairobi, or uh, you know, you. Click a link in an email and then put all your banking information in because you think it might be your bank who wants some more updated stuff. That's on you. <laughs> you know that's on you. That's on you. I mean, it's like to this day, hey, if I'm... I get anything from my bank, um, I and and there's a link to say check something out. I don't click on the link in my email ever. I then go to a uh, to the browser, type in my email, my my bank, and log in directly to my bank. I don't go through any link in any email t- for anything. Yep, I just don't trust it.
1: That's a, that's a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I'm going to have to take a break, Todd. So.
0: Yeah. Why don't uh, we wrap it up? We've been going for quite a while. Um, looks like. Let's see. Do I have a timer on here somewhere? Somewhere I got it. Oh, we go uh, hour one and forty 30, minutes.
1: One thirty nine.
0: Yep. An hour and uh, thirty nine minutes. Yeah, coming up on an hour forty. So anyway, thanks for joining us. We talked about a lot of stuff that was not tech, but we got around to some tech stuff too, and a little reminiscing. And uh, we will be back hopefully next Monday. So sorry we were a day behind. We had other stuff going on, but we'll be back on Monday. All righty. Bye-bye.
1: Good talking to you, Todd. Bye. Mm Bye.